Download the free ISO 14001 2015 Environmental Management Systems Checklist from the link below in the description. And then we're gonna take you clause by clause through each of the elements from environmental policy to environmental planning to environmental risk assessments to the monitoring and measurement elements and through to management review. I'm Kobe Simmett, I'm the CEO here at Best Practice. This is the ISO 14001 2015 Environmental Management System Specification free checklist. Stay tuned. Okay, I've got the checklist here myself. I'm gonna take you clause by clause through the standard and we're gonna talk about how to establish and implement your ISO 14001 environmental management system. So I'm gonna go through clause four now, talk about the context of the organization and then I'll move through each section of the standard and we're gonna talk about some of the evidence, how to establish your management system, maybe some of the improvements you could make. So listen out if you've already got an environmental management system in place and you're just wanting to know how you can improve it, listen out for some of my top tips and tricks on how to improve your compliance with ISO 14001. And more importantly, we're gonna work our way through now clause four and talk about some of the questions. So I'm gonna read them out and then I'm gonna talk about some of the evidence or artifacts that we look for here at Best Practice or some good examples on what you can establish or implement for your environmental management system. So question one, have you determined external and internal issues that are relevant to its process and that affect its ability to achieve the intended environmental outcomes for your management system. So this is all about starting to frame up the risk assessment component of your environmental management system, or if you wanna be really clever, your environmental SWOT analysis, where you look at your strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And an organization like this one, best practice, one of our biggest environmental opportunities is the quality of advice and inspiration we give to you, our audience. If we can inspire you to build an environmental management system for your organization, and start improving your environmental performance, then we've had a massive global impact. And that's a huge opportunity. It's a bigger picture element than recycling the paper in our office, you know, natural lighting, solar panels, those sorts of things. So it's something to think about the big picture stuff. So what are the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities and threats in your organization that can improve your environmental performance? When we move through the rest of this part of the standard, we talk about do you have a way of re reviewing and monitoring these risks on a regular basis? Have you determined the interested parties that are relevant to the environmental management system? And it is important to do a stakeholder analysis. Unpack all the people that have got an interest in your organization and what some of their environmental issues might be. Putting that onto a stakeholder register or part of your risk analysis is a really good way to address this requirement. Have you determined the relevant needs and expectations of interested parties as part of that stakeholder assessment? And have you determined which of these needs and expectations become your organization's compliance obligations? Now, compliance obligations typically come from environmental regulators. They might come from some of your customers or some of your suppliers. So think broadly about that because it is one of the requirements of ISO 14001 to make and deliver the commitment to compliance with legal and other requirements. So that's an important question. Have you determined the boundaries and applicability of the environmental management system? Is your environmental management system in your organization just going to be for the site that you're on or all of your sites or all of your processes around the globe? So if you're a one-site operation, is it just all of that site or part of that site? If you're a multi-site operation, is it just for the environmentally critical processes at each of your locations? But it is important to specify that 
and make it clear so you don't mislead some of your stakeholders. And that is a critical thing. You don't want your stakeholders to feel violated that you've said, yes, we've got an environmental management system, but you've misled them when they think it applies to some of the critical parts of your organization. So just be careful with that one. Has the scope of the environmental management system been determined? Taking into account the internal and external issues, compliance obligations, organizational units, functions, physical boundaries. And again, that's just reinforcing your scope or your geographical or process compliance and spread of your environmental management system. What parts of your business is it or organization is it applicable to? And the last question there is, is the EMS scope defined and maintained as documented information? Now, importantly, we've moved away from big, thick manuals and policies and procedures. And so somewhere on your website, a small statement that says, this is our environmental management system. This is the parts of the business that it, it applies to, or it applies to all of our business. And it's about looking at all of the opportunities and strengths and weaknesses and opportunities and threats for our environmental management system and to improve our environmental impact on the planet. The last question there in section four is, have you established, implemented and maintained an environmental management system which includes all processes needed along with their interactions and is your EMS built on the framework of continual improvement? So this is where we're talking about plan, do, check and act and the cycle of continual improvement. So it is important and this is an important step to say that yes, we've been through the standard and yes, we've got all those plan, do, check, act elements in our management system like for your quality system or your occupational health and safety management system. Let's talk now about clause five, and this is the context around leadership. It's a bit of extra stuff around planning and strategic planning, but let's get into leadership. Now this element of ISO 14001 2015 has been strengthened. It's talking about has top management taken accountability for the effectiveness of the environmental management system? Now previously it just talked about top management shall communicate and commit and all those sorts of things, but now it's about responsibility. Is there a trail of responsibility following or flowing down through the different levels in your organizational chart and your job descriptions to have accountabilities and responsibilities for addressing your environmental opportunities and threats, if you like, and strengthening your strengths and strengthening your weaknesses across your organization? So taking the results of the SWOT analysis, dropping responsibilities down into job descriptions is an important part to address this leadership element, and it's good for business. Are the environmental policy and objectives established and compatible with the strategic direction of the organization? Do you have a business plan? And is there an element in your business plan that talks about your environmental strengths, weaknesses, opportunities and threats or your environmental risks? And that's a critical element here. So what we're starting to do is unpack and understand that we've got a policy, we've got objectives, the environmental objectives being the things we want to achieve from our environmental performance, and then we're mapping those responsibilities through. So you can start now to see that we're talking about executing and implementing the business plan for the organization, and that there's an environmental management theme through that. Has the organization's EMS requirements integrated into the organization's business processes? So does your environmental management system sit separately, or is there an understanding that integrated risk management has been, has been the approach that's been taken to ensure that when you're considering purchasing, for example, it's not just the cheapest price, but there is an environmental opportunity or is a more environmentally friendly uh, product or service that you can procure. Uh, are you giving environmental advice to your customers about what they can do in the life cycle analysis of the products and services that you sell to them? So it's understanding that we've integrated that environmental requirement and that it's part of an integrated risk management approach. Our resources 
needed for the environmental management system and have they been made available? Now this will be people, the people that are needed to drive the environmental management system, a budget, so a budget as part of your business plan for environmental initiatives, and then environments and people and processes and emergency equipment. So it's important to think through all of those elements of resources so that you get a good understanding and that we could, if we're coming to do an assessment of you, a best practice assessment, we can see evidence that those resources are being made available and it's not just something that you're paying lip service to. Does top management direct and support people to contribute to the effectiveness environmental management system? And this is all about communication and consultation and training of your people so they understand what their compliance obligations are, they understand the risks, the threats, they understand that when they don't follow the system, they know what's going to go wrong and what their legal obligations are. And does top management promote continual improvement of your management system? And that's part of that policy commitment that we're going to talk about shortly. So let's get into policy. Uh, we're talking about has the environmental policy been established, implemented and maintained? And with your environmental policy, we're looking for three commitments. A commitment to continual improvement, a commitment to compliance with legal and other requirements, and then a commitment to environmental sustainability and the minimisation of environmental impacts from your organisation and that your organisation's making a contribution to its environmental footprint on the planet and a positive one at that. So then we move into does the environmental policy include a commitment to fulfil compliance obligations? Now this is strengthened and we've got to really think about our stakeholders. What have our stakeholders said? Our regulators, our customers, our suppliers, and we've got that commitment, so how do we build that out? What's the evidence that we're going to show to demonstrate that we've done that and track that? And then finally, is the environmental policy maintained as documented information, communicated with the organisation and available to interested parties? So if you do a Google search, press pause on the video now and do it, open another tab in your browser and do a Google search for images and image results of environmental policy and you will see lots and lots, hundreds of thousands of examples of all the different environmental policies that people have put up on their websites around the planet and you'll get some good ideas, things that you like, things that you don't like, but look for those three commitments in those policies, compliance with legal and other requirements, continual improvement and minimisation of environmental issues and leveraging your environmental opportunities. Now the last part of section five talks about organisational roles, responsibilities and authorities and it's important to understand that top management right the way down through the organisation, need to ensure that responsibilities and authorities for relevant roles are assigned and communicated within the organisation. It's no point in just writing a document and saying, you know, this person over here is going to be responsible for environmental management. It's about good quality communication where there's been two-way street and there's understanding the people that have been given responsibilities to run the factory, to run the warehouse, to empty out the sludge bins, to dump the tanks, to be managing the pollution licenses, that those people are critically aware of their roles, responsibilities, policies and procedures so that they can help to maintain compliance of the organisation with your regulator's requirements. Has the top management assigned responsibilities and authority for ensuring that the environmental management system conforms to the requirements? Now, has somebody got the role or a responsibility in their position description to be the environmental management system representative? Now that's the critical thing that we do look for, that somebody can get to know the standard, they've got resources, they've got time allocated. Now you might be a full-time environmental manager, but it might also just be a small part of what you need to do with all of your responsibilities. We see lots of operations managers and general managers and HR managers 
or with environmental management system as part of their broader organisational responsibilities. Now, it is important for that to be clearly specified so that we can come and do an assessment or someone can check you against 14001 and see that you've got that very clear responsibility defined. Has the top management assigned responsibility and authority for reporting on environmental performance and the environmental management system, including environmental performance, to top management? So, importantly, one of the critical elements that I believe that are part of this environmental management system is having a clear picture of your organization's performance. How do you get that clear picture? Well, somebody obviously here, as prescribed by the standard, needs to have responsibility to issue or collect and issue those environmental performance reports. Here at Best Practice, we have a big dashboard of all of our statistics. So do you have an environmental performance over time graph or the different elements of environmental performance in your organization maybe five or six or seven or eight different graphs that track environmental performance over time of the different elements. You know, simple things like how much paper did we recycle or how much energy did we consume or how many greenhouse gases did we emit. And obviously different industries, different businesses, lots of different environmental opportunities, numbers of trees planted per year, lots of different metrics. The responsibility for someone in your organization to write your state of the environment report and produce the statistics for top management. Let's now talk about Clause 6 of ISO 14001 2015 and specifically planning actions to address risks and opportunities. Now this is where we take the stakeholder analysis, the risk assessments that we've been doing, the SWOT analysis, and we start to form the plan. Now if you've watched any of our other YouTube videos here at Best Practice, we talk about the who, what, when, where, how, and why, and that's all, it's all about looking at these questions. Has the high risk has the high risk or the high risks, high level risks and opportunities related to environmental aspects, compliance obligations and other issues being determined and documented. So this is the trigger now. The evidence you would present here is your risk register or your SWOT analysis. So you can say, yes, we have documented our high level environmental risks and opportunities in our environmental risk register or our integrated corporate risk register. Our risks and opportunities identified and documented for external environmental conditions, for example, potential emergencies. And this is about your emergency preparedness. What things could potentially go wrong and starting to brainstorm and flesh out all those possible things, start putting some risks, priorities against those and rank them so that you can look at the more important and more the issues that are more of a priority. When identifying the environmental aspects and associated environmental impacts, does the organization consider a life cycle perspective? Has the organization sufficiently understood this broader view perspective and can they show evidence of its application? Now here at Best Practice, from a life cycle perspective, your environmental performance is part of our environmental performance and we start to think about the life cycle of your organization. How can we be more influential, more effective in inspiring and supporting you to improve your environmental performance? That's the bigger play here. So with thousands and thousands of companies receiving guidance and advice from us each year, that is a big environmental opportunity for us to change how the whole community, the whole business community responds to your environmental responsibilities. Are abnormal conditions and foreseeable emergency situations considered? And starting to write a list of potential environmental emergencies and environmental emergency situations is an important way to address this so that you can start to make plans and you can run trials and pilots and emergency evacuations and tests to check that you're ready if something goes wrong. Is the criteria used to determine its significant aspects documented? Now that's a tricky little one there. We're talking about risk and we're talking about risk management. Have you got a risk management system, risk rating, risk matrix, 
risk prioritization system. And then we take our environmental issues and we start to prioritize accordingly so that you can understand what are your more important environmental issues and that you've got that process documented. They're rated, they're ranked, and you can prioritize how you spend your resources accordingly. Has the organization determined and have access to compliance obligations related to environmental aspects? Now, we talk about legal and other requirements, and in some instances we can talk about a requirements register, legal and other requirements register, where you might specify the different things that are legislated for you to comply with, your customer's requirements, your contractual requirements, uh, stakeholder requirements, license and permit requirements, and having those listed so you can understand what it is that you need to comply with and ensuring that you comply with it. Because remembering in our environmental policy, we made a commitment to legal and other requirements. Now, it can be a tricky part of the standard, but if you just start with a simple list of the things that you think that you need to comply with that are laws and regulations, that's a great start. And then documenting how you need to comply with them or what you need to do to comply with them. And it's a really good, simple way to get yourself started. Has the organization maintained documented information of its compliance obligations. So it may be that in some of your responsibility statements, in some of your policies, some of your procedures of methods and techniques that you use to do business, that you actually identify that there may be a specific legal or other requirement or a customer's contractual requirement. As we're now talking about the sort of second part of section six of our checklist, we're talking about environmental objectives and planning to achieve them. Now, if you've watched some of our other YouTube videos, we talk about who, what, when, where and how, and this is where we start to map out the plan of how we're going to improve our environmental performance and we're going to, who's going to manage what and what are they going to do to track and improve the benchmarks that we started with and see our environmental performance improvement graphs improving. We start to ask some questions. Are environmental objectives established at relevant functions and levels in the organisation? A management objective might be, have all staff had environmental training? And then a performance objective might be the numbers of tonnes of greenhouse gas emissions emitted by your organisation or the amount of electricity consumed by your organisation or fuel or raw materials or tonnes of waste disposed by your organisation. So it's about having the statistic, obviously, but then setting yourself an objective so that you can start to improve. Leverage opportunities, reducing threats. Do objectives take into account the organization's significant environmental aspects, environmental objectives, and its compliance obligations? So it's important to understand that your objectives need to, A, work towards your commitments to improvement in your policy, B, that you've got really important environmental issues and you want to have objectives to set yourself targets and goals to minimize those areas of high potential environmental risk, and then obviously your compliance obligations. So staying in compliance with your legal and other requirements, obviously that needs to be an objective, and you can start to specify that on a performance over time graph, for example, like a red line that says, don't go below this level because we'll be breaking the law. Are the objectives compatible with strategic direction of and context of the organization? So in your business plan, have you stated that you wanna be an upstanding global environmental corporate citizen? those types of statements, and then your objectives need to marry that. So it's not that you're gonna just push your environmental performance under the carpet, but you're gonna think big picture, and it would be really inspiring for your, your organization to be an upstanding environmental citizen. So that's the part of the standard here which is encouraging you to do that. Has the organization maintained documented information on its objectives? Well, of course, if you've got performance over time graphs and you put a small dot on that graph that shows your goal or your objective or your benchmark, then yes, you have. Some of the other management objectives and targets, you might write into a corporate 
environmental management plan and it starts to say who, what, and more importantly, when. When you write down who, what, when, where, how, then you get to understand that when it's got when and it's got who and it's got what, it becomes a management objective. So writing that plan is a really critical part of having your environmental objectives and targets documented. To achieve its environmental objectives, has the organisation determined what will be done, what resources will be required, who will be responsible, when it will be completed and how the results will be evaluated and that's your environmental plan. So it's there in 6.2 of ISO 14001 2015, right there in our checklist. Okay, moving now into section seven, we talk about support. Now this is about establishing all the resources for your organization's environmental management system and starting to assemble what you need to do, the budgets, the funding, the people, the tasks, the projects, all those things to get you going. So has the organization determined necessary competence and persons doing work under its control? That's all the training. Competency analysis, learning needs analysis, those types of documents and that type of evidence to present to us that you've met that requirement or that question. Does the organization ensure that persons are competent on the basis of appropriate education, training, or experience? Not that they have to have education training, it's competent on the basis of appropriate education, training, or experience. Does the organization determine training needs and where applicable take actions to acquire the necessary competence? Well, that's obviously going and procuring courses like the great courses we have here in the Best Practice Training Academy to help you understand the standard, to help you understand your environmental obligations and then more specific tasks around different environmental improvement projects. Have any of your suppliers got training that they can provide you when they're looking at your environmental projects and contributing to your environmental performance or even any of your customers? Does the organisation retain documented information as evidence of competence? For example, a training register with dates and times when people undertook either internal training or external training. Are personnel aware of the, are personnel aware of the environmental policy, the significant environmental aspects and impacts associated, associated with their work? And that's maybe a course that you could develop internally called environmental awareness training, where people can get an understanding of what their environmental obligations are and what they need to achieve. Are personnel aware of their contribution to the effectiveness of the environmental management system, including benefits of enhanced environmental performance? And that's all the benefits of being a good corporate citizen and communicating that to your staff. But more importantly, what we found recently with a bunch of clients is engaging your staff and celebrating environmental performance helps to build culture, builds compliance, and builds the general feeling of momentum in your organization towards being a good corporate citizen from an environmental management perspective. Has the organization established implemented, process, implemented processes for internal and external communications relevant to the EMS? What statements are you prepared to make publicly? What statements do you need to make privately and internally in your organization? It's important to think about this stuff. If something goes wrong, how will you communicate with the media? What will be your understanding of what we can and can't say and what we can and can't do as part of our emergency management plan? Um, does the communication process include what to communicate, when to communicate, whom to communicate, and how to communicate? Again, what, when, where, how. Does the communication process take into account compliance obligations? Do we have mandatory compliance, mandatory reporting, mandatory communication procedures with some of our regulators? Important to understand and the responsibility of your environmental manager. Has the organisation maintained documented information on its communications? What are we keeping? Do we keep press releases? Do we keep a record of what we've put out into the public domain? What we've communicated to our regulators? Important to keep that record so that you've got history 
of what you're talking about and what you've communicated in case there's a legal issue. Does, your, does the communication process enable employees or externals to contribute to continual improvement? So obviously if we start to look at our what analysis and our risk register, do our staff have a role to play to help us to continually improve? And would they be motivated and inspired to do that? So it's an important element to have people engaged and on board with what you want to achieve. Does the organization communicate external information relevant to its environmental management system as established by its communication process and as required by its compliance obligations? And that's back to your regulators. Have you got mandatory reporting if something goes wrong? And just to finish off section seven of the standard, we're talking about does the organization have documented information on how documents within the organization are created, updated and controlled and are documented information of external origin which is necessary for planning and operation of the EMS identified and controlled. And that's really, it's the, the requirement for document control and document management has been lightened in this standard and it is really simply about having the information that you need captured or in a place and it could just be a link or a bookmark in your browser so that you've got access and your people have access to the information that they need when they need it to do their job and to maintain things in business as usual circumstances and emergency situations. Let's now move into clause eight of ISO 14001 2015 where we're talking about operational planning and control. And in this part of the checklist, we're starting to ask questions around how you plan to manage the environmental issues and risks that you identified in your SWOT analysis and your environmental risk register. So we ask questions like, does the organization plan, implement and control processes needed to meet EMS requirements and to implement the actions determined in what we talked about in clause six? And this is the who, what, when, where and how. Now why is obviously the risks that we've talked about. So starting to map out and understand and keep it really simple and a really simple plan that addresses the who, what, when, where, how and that's going to give you a good start in terms of how you're going to capture your environmental management system and develop your environmental plan for you know by year or your environmental business plan is a good way to describe that. Does the organization control plan changes and review the consequence of unintended changes and take action to mitigate any adverse effects. So what do we do if something went wrong? We talk about corrective action. What can we do to correct the situation, fix the situation, but more importantly, preventative action. What can we do to prevent it happening in the future? So we start to ask those questions. So what's your process gonna be? What's your, your um, everything stuffed up process? So when something goes wrong, we're obviously gonna investigate it, we're gonna fix it, but how do we make sure we capture those changes and embed that and implement it? So we have a checklist here at Best Practice when we talk about change management. We've got to train people. So we say, what do we need to change? Who do we need to train? How do we communicate? And what are we going to measure? And it's just a really simple approach when we're making changes and we're talking about how we're going to improve our organization, that we give our team time to digest that information and those changes. Does the organization ensure that outsourced processes are controlled and or influenced? And this is all about your suppliers and your customers. So you don't want your suppliers to be letting you down. You're trying to be an upstanding environmental, you know, good global environmental citizen and your suppliers are letting you down. So it is important to understand that you do have influence in those areas. Now, ultimately in risk management, we can eliminate the risk by taking it away completely. So if a supplier for you is too risky and they're not gonna help you with environmental performance, you're consciously making the decision to actually move away from that supplier or continue with that supplier. And it is a conscious decision. Uh, consistent with a life cycle perspective, are controls established to ensure that environmental requirements are addressed in the design and development process. 
Can we design our products and services or our processes to be more environmentally friendly? Move into the next version, the improved version, the innovated or evolved version of our product and service that is more environmentally friendly, that is more environmentally supportive, and you start to think about that at the design phase as we go through that process. Consistent with life cycle perspective, does the organization determine its environmental requirements for the procurement of products and services? So not just procuring on price, but procuring on a more environmentally friendly or more sustainable product or service that's part of an import, part of the raw materials for your process. And thinking about that, do you have an environmental purchasing policy? Consistent with the life cycle perspective, does the organization communicate its relevant environmental requirements to external providers? For example, for example, contractors or suppliers. So do you report your environmental performance back to your suppliers, back to your contractors, so they get an understanding of, or are empowered to understand how they can help you to improve your environmental performance and your standing as a good corporate environmental citizen. Now the final part of Section 8 talks about operational planning and control, and consistent with the life cycle perspective, does the organisation consider the need to provide information about potential significant environmental impacts associated with transport or delivery use, end of life treatment and final disposal of its products and services to people like your customers. Now, we can talk about some of the, you know, the historical stories about things like asbestos and toxic chemicals where suppliers were producing toxic chemicals and giving them to their, selling them to their customers but not telling their customers about how bad they were. So consistent with life cycle analysis, it is important to talk about those things, to understand those things and work out how you can improve. But more importantly, as your product or service passes over to your customer, do they have any environmental obligations associated with that? Is relevant documented information maintained to the extent necessary to give confidence that the processes have been carried out as planned? And that's important to have those performance over time graphs, have that monitoring, have that measurement, and have those documents that go backwards and forwards in that relationship. Now, as we finish Clause 8, we're talking about emergency preparedness and what do we do if things go wrong? So does the organisation have a process for how to prepare and respond to emergency situations? What are we going to do? What are some potential situations? Can we do a desktop emergency evacuation so that we can understand and we do a trial and a pilot so we can understand what could potentially go wrong and brainstorm out those processes so we can be better prepared. Particularly when it's never happened, we want to be prepared for just in case it does. Does the organisation plan actions to prevent, mitigate impacts from, from emergency situations and provide relevant information to interested parties? So if there are potential situations that could take place, do you run training for your customers, your suppliers, your staff, your stakeholders involved with your, your organisation? If you've got highly toxic chemicals or explosive chemicals on your site, do you train and inform the emergency services so that they know what's on your site? And inviting them in when it's not an emergency situation is sometimes a good idea so that they can join your team when you've got an emergency taking place and you can manage and minimise environmental impacts from those emergency situations. It's good quality environmental emergency preparedness. And does the organisation maintain documentation to give confidence that processes are carried out as planned? That could be inspections, it could be audits of your emergency preparedness process so that you know you're ready and everything's up to date. Let's go now through section nine of ISO 14001-2015. Now I'm not gonna read every question here, but what I am gonna say is it's my most favorite part of ISO 14001 and in fact, any of the management system standards because this is the part of the standard that talks about getting a clear picture of your organization's performance. Do you have a clear picture 
of your organization's environmental performance? Do you have a clear picture of your quality performance, your safety performance, your financial performance, your HR performance? Now you might have heard me say financial and you say, yes, of course, we've got lots of financial reports. We know exactly to the dollar how we're tracking financially. Well, this is the opportunity from an environmental management system perspective to get that same clarity. Developing the dashboard, the scoreboard of all the environmental metrics, the environmental statistics, they're gonna help you track and then move on to manage and improve the environmental performance. So we start with questions like, does the organization monitor, measure, analyze, and evaluate its environmental performance? It's the most exciting part of this standard. Does the organization determine what needs to be monitored and measured, the methods of monitoring and measurement, and the criteria against which the organization will evaluate its environmental performance? Do you have a benchmark? Do you have regulatory requirements? What are your objectives and targets? What's in your environmental business plan and how are we tracking? Does the organization determine when monitoring and measuring shall be performed and when the results shall be analyzed and evaluated? Here at Best Practice, we track most statistics on a weekly basis. We look at some statistics on a monthly basis. So when are you gonna look at your statistics and when are you gonna check in to see how you're tracking and your environmental performance and are you improving? Does the organization retain documented information as evidence of monitoring, measurement, analysis, and evaluation of results? Here at Best Practice, we produce graphs, and that's our documented evidence. So I'd suggest to you, can you present your environmental performance on graphs? And here at Best Practice, we have 30 statistics that track all the performance across our whole organization, quality, safety, environment, financial, and we track that stuff weekly. So what can you do to track your performance? And without going through all of these questions, the last one here is, does the organization retain documented information as evidence of the monitoring and measurement and analysis and evaluation of results so that we can look at our compliance obligations? How do we go against our objectives and targets? How are we tracking against our environmental management plan? Now, in the final parts of section nine, we talk about internal audits and management review. Now, they're two quite generic terms, but it's basics, very simple stuff. Do we have an environmental audit campaign running in the organization? Now that could be integrated with your quality system and your safety system, but setting up an environmental management and in, sorry, an internal environmental audit program. And then finally, management review. Now management review here in the context of this standard and all of the others in ISO 9001 and ISO 45001 and all those different standards is management review. That's the time where you sit down and look at how did you go against your environmental business plan against your objectives and targets and what can you do in the next phase to improve your SWOT analysis, improve your controls, improve your performance, improve your plans and then improve broadly your position as a good quality corporate environmental management citizen. Okay now let's move into the final part of this free ISO 14001 checklist where we're talking about section 10 improvement. Now again, a very exciting part of your environmental management system and any system for that matter. And here at Best Practice, we have that great hashtag, keep improving every day. And this is where we're talking about, does the organization determine opportunities for improvement and implement necessary actions to achieve the intended outcomes of its environmental management system? Now, if you're not performing, if your objectives and your stats and your monitoring is off track, what are you going to do to improve your environmental performance to get it back to where your objectives are, your goals are, and your business plan is saying you wanna be? 
Does the organization take control and correct non-conformities? So that's non-compliance with the standard, non-compliance with legal and other requirements, non-compliance with customer requirements, non-compliance with your environmental specifications in your organization. How do you track that? How do you identify it? How do you improve it? What controls will you put in place? What training do people need? So it's all about that keep improving everyday corrective and preventative action. Does the organization determine the causes of nonconformity and implement actions as needed? Does the organization review the effectiveness of the corrective actions? If you fix something, did it happen again? What's the trends analysis? Is this something that's always happening? It's asking those questions and it's saying, how are we correcting this? And are the corrections, the fixes, the patches, the band-aids, how are they improving and maintaining our performance or is it always happening? If it's always happening, a deeper root cause analysis is required and more importantly, more robust controls to prevent it happening again in the future. Does the organization retain documented information as evidence of the nature of nonconformities and any subsequent actions, like an improvements register is recommended here, where you can look at corrective and preventative action. And then does the organization continue to improve the suitability, adequacy, and effectiveness of the environmental management system to enhance environmental performance? And that's about implementing those identified issues, those identified opportunities for improvement, and moving now back to the top of the phase where you do your SWOT analysis, your risk assessment, and build out your environmental plan. Thanks for joining us here at Best Practice. This has been the free ISO 14001-2015 checklist. If you've got any comments, if you've got any questions, if you want a free video of a practical example that is relevant to your organization, send us your website, hit the live chat button over on our website, and we can record a video for your practical example and give you some tips, tricks, and advice on how to establish and implement your environmental management system in your organization. So right here at Best Practice TV, we've got a bunch of other checklists. We've got a checklist for quality, a checklist for safety, a checklist for information security, a checklist for HACCP and food safety. So check out our training academy, check out the free downloads, comment below, hit subscribe, and we'll see you soon right here on Best Practice TV. Bye for now.